English literature and languages, a BA in religion. And if you're seeking ministerial license, you have to read his books in, to, in some of the classes. Um, but I ask some of your students, tell me something about Brother Painter. And your graduate students, they said, his brain is overwhelming. <laughs> I've never had anybody tell me that. <laughs> but his knowledge of the word was even more overwhelming. He's he always makes life interesting. He brought a horse to campus once for one of his classes. But the thing I love most about Brother Painter is that he is humble and he loves students and he loves to teach. And I can personally tell you from firsthand experience that he has done so at personal financial sacrifice because he loves you and he loves to teach. And you are going to be so blessed by his ministry tonight. Come, Brother Painter. Sister Russell, greetings. It's good to be with you. Would you stand with me? I would like to read one verse of scripture. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Proverbs 4 and 23. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of your heart flow the springs of life. One more time. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of your heart flow the springs of life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word of wisdom. I pray that you would bless us today with an understanding of your word. And I pray for all who are gathered in this chapel, who sit in the valley of decision. Help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. I looked over there at an odd time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll just keep looking. Right. I really don't know how to, there we go. with great irony that the man who wrote these words performed one of the most spectacular falls from grace that any human being has ever experienced. 
guard your heart with all vigilance. For out of the heart flow the springs of life. I can't think of any man more fortunate in history than Solomon. To have called David your father. David, dad, is an, a matchless honor. To have come to the kingdom at a juncture in Israel's history like no other, riding the crest, the momentum created by dozens of generations of patriarchs and saints, men and women who survived slavery in Egypt, and now standing at the summit of Israel's history here is King Solomon, gifted beyond words, a man so wise, so wise, that when asked what he would like to have from God, given a blank check from heaven, he asked only for wisdom. And so God blessed him with wisdom, and wisdom doesn't just mean discernment in ancient Hebrew chokmah, or wisdom meant something more like skill and ability, along with judgment and discernment. He had the skill to write songs and poetry. Music was considered to be a divine language. And so to be gifted in music was to have almost special access with heaven and to heaven. It is said that he wrote 1,001 songs, and whenever you see the number 1,000 in Scripture uh, in the ancient Near East, 1,000 usually just means something like a whole lot. All the kings of the earth, the queens of the earth, that heard of this man very nearly envied him in his day. He was able to enrich the kingdom to heights rarely seen in the history of the human race. No matter how opulent other kings have been, Solomon had them better. 666 talents of gold per annum. Dedicating shields that he could cover the temple walls with in his palace. He had at his disposal the cedars and the forests of Lebanon. He had built for him an ivory home, rather ivory throne, arched back, two armrests, two lions, one at each arm, sculpted, of course. Six steps leading up to his throne, and on each step, on both sides, there were sculpted lions made out of precious metal. Fleets of ship, ships at his service, 
His courts were flooded with exotic animals from all over the world. 14,000 chariots, 12,000 horsemen stationed in cities designed just for chariots. In time, he took unto himself a Moabite wife, an Ammonite wife, an Edomite wife, a Sidonian wife, a Hittite wife, and all of this after having secured an Egyptian wife. He, it was said, had 700 wives. And if that isn't staggering enough, 300 concubines. The first warnings that something's wrong, stated rather innocently in 1 Kings, but the text says that he spent X number of years on building the temple, but nearly twice that much building his own palace. There may be a hint of a warning there, but certainly taking unto himself an Egyptian wife, and then to proceed to try to make Israel look like Egypt after the struggle that Israel had in emerging from Egypt, this was a slap in the face. It wasn't very long, it seems, that as the years rolled on, Solomon found himself, after having just established a couple of temples and statues for these foreign wives, himself groveling in the dark, stumbling, bowing before idols. Moloch of Ammon on Mount Olivet, Milcom of the Ammonites, Ashtoreth of Sidon, Chemosh of Moab. What happened? What happened? I don't know at first that this was his plan. It doesn't seem to have been at all. If you read his inaugural prayer, there seems to be nothing wrong. This man's heart is golden. But somewhere along the way, perhaps, perhaps, he started to take a sort of sophisticated view of religion. Yes, I know there's only one God, and yes, I know there is only, there's only one God to be worshipped, but there are other nations of the world, there are other things in heaven and earth that I know not of and aren't dreamed up in my philosophies. And so, who knows? Who knows? Statues, idols, perhaps to the unknown gods. What harm can there be? What I have found in Solomon's narrative happens so, so often in the lives I've seen growing up with me. At 42 years old, I've seen a couple of generations now. I grew up with a cohort, 70 plus young people in my youth group. There are only a couple of us left serving God today. A couple of us. There were hard times. There were difficulties. More importantly, there were young men and young women 
who were far more talented than I could ever be. I remember one time listening to a friend of mine get up and preach. The pastor asked him to preach on a Sunday night, and I was so, I was so dumbstruck that here is this 13-year-old boy preaching on a Sunday night, and I'm wondering, where was God when he was handing out the gifts? Where was I? Must have been hiding somewhere. And he took the microphone, and he began to preach, even had a hanky in his hand. He's waving that thing, and pretty soon, not just us kids, but the rest of the adults are all flooding the altar. What in the world? And I remember going home, and I remember weeping and crying and saying, God. See, I was jealous. I was jealous. Maybe even envious or covetous. Lord, help me. But a few years on, he was nowhere to be found. There were so many talented people. I have seen, I have seen just, I was here seven years ago for three years. And I've stood in front of young men and young women. And for better or worse, I tend to sort of follow you a little bit on Facebook. I'm not a stalker, but, and I never really get on Facebook much, but every now and then, I just want to know how you're doing. And I can't tell you how many times my heart has been broken. Broken. What happens? What has happened? What I propose to you happens is that God calls you, and it's like a light that shines upon you, and it summons you forward. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's bestowed upon you a great and noble calling. Every single one of you have a ministry, and it's going to have an effect in eternity. You are going to almost single-handedly at times Determine one way or another for somebody's eternity. You're going to play a huge, huge role. Heaven has its spotlight on you. It is a calling, calling you. Even children are called. And God has given weight to your words, your actions. But... When the light shines upon you, behind you there is a shadow. In fact, you're, the light itself shining upon you casts a shadow. And I would refer to this as a kind of shadow calling. With every calling you receive in life, with every noble calling you receive in life, there is going to be a shadow calling. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of calling that apes the noble calling. It feeds on its nobility, its public attractiveness. Your conscious calling may be to be a great teacher who will lead many to Christian discipleship, but the shadow calling will likely then borrow upon the nobility of this mission, speak its language, wear its faces, but channel accomplishments towards the ego. 
which has as its goal honor, glory, fame, ease, and admiration. So you have been called and gifted with the ability to be a quick-witted, good communicator. I might propose to you that along with that calling, the shadow calling is something like a shock jock, the provocateur, the smart aleck. That's your shadow calling. You can use it. You can use your noble calling for good, but the shadow is right there lurking behind you and always tempting you to use that quick wit, that good, that, those great communication skills in order to hurt, to maim. So you have been called perhaps to be a great preacher of the word. But then what if you turn the pulpit into just kind of a stepping stone to greater places, longer vacations, bigger houses, bigger crowds. So you have been called to be a teacher, knowledgeable in the word, knowledgeable in history. But suppose the shadow calling calls you and says, be a destroyer of the faith. Get excited about ruining kids' faith. Let them come to college and the professor stands up and his mission in life seems to be to destroy the Christian faith that the child came with. Use your knowledge as a kind of cudgel to beat it out of them, giving offense everywhere you can. So you have been called perhaps to be a holy musician in the lineage of King David. Your shadow, the diva, or guys, the devo. The one who stands behind waiting for the service to turn its, to turn its attention towards the music and suddenly Suddenly, well, you're kind of what's going to make this work. If this service is going to get off the ground, it's going to be me. So you walk around because you've got greater musical talent. And you think that this places you in some kind of hierarchy. That's your temptation. That's the shadow calling. Beware, beware of the shallow musician calling. So you have been called more generally to be perhaps just a great friend. But then your shadow calling is to use people, take advantage of friendships. So you have been called to be a pastor someday, but watch out because you're going to be tempted to become a congregation's messiah. So you have been called to be an entrepreneur. You're very good at business. Your shadow calling is the accumulation of things. 
And all of you, each and every one of you, have been called to presence. I've heard the word relationship uttered here a few times. Presence, to be with people, to be present with people. Our world, our world is making this increasingly difficult. I went to the, uh, I, I went to a Starbucks earlier today. I sat down, I had my coffee, and I looked around, and the place was full of people. Some of them were family members, but they were all looking at their mobile devices, each and every one of them. But then there was this one weirdo who had a print book with him, just total weirdo. And he was every now and then talking to somebody. I mean, haven't seen it in ages. The shadow calling of presence is live in a virtual reality. Be present on the internet, on social media. Forget about real human presence. And no wonder we're having difficulty politically because we're becoming increasingly isolated and torn away from human connections that kind of uh, 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 destroy the distortions that rise up online. And so I, I see, I see, I, I don't want to complain about technology. I don't want to turn this into some kind of a, a soapbox. But I just want to say, I just want to say that something's happening culturally. Something's happening, and it's going to have consequences. I see more poured into our online selves than into our human present selves. We feel closer to the people we're connected with on social media than we do with the person sitting right next to us. Be careful, be careful. See, we used to have something called, in electronics, an avatar. Computer graphics, you would have an avatar. You might make a, an avatar on, say, Xbox. I remember one of my sons made an avatar. Blonde-headed boy, blue eyes. And he could change it to blue, blue hair and blonde eyes, whatever he wanted wearing a Seattle Mariners t-shirt, and he named himself in those great, wonderful days of five and six years old, Air Striker 117. <laughs> There's his avatar. He's living in this kind of, he has this kind of virtual self. It's himself translated into light and binary codes in the system and algorithms and whatnot. He jumps up and down, says Yahoo whenever he wins at something. And uh, uh, he collects coins and whatnot. That's an, the, on, the avatar is the online version of the self. But I see something changing now. And what I actually see happening is that the real human being is being taken up in the virtual world, in a sense. And the avatar is the human self outside. It's kind of the virtual reality. Watch out for the shadow calling. I don't know what all the consequences are that are in store for this, but see it through godly eyes and act wisely. In our culture, we have junk versions of just about everything. Everything important, that is. For love, we have convenience. 
For friendship, the junk version is popularity. For sex, the junk version is pornography. For religion, the junk version is politics. Truth, junk version is relevance. The important thing, knowledge, the junk version of it. Put-downs, insults, owning someone, cliches. Be careful that you don't nurture a desire for money and things. Because if they are where you tap your real meaning of life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing themselves, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. On one level, we all know this stuff already. I'm saying absolutely nothing real. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story that's told. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. But if you indulge a lust for power, you will always feel weak and afraid, and you will need power even more over others to keep this fear at bay. If you worship your intellect and the intellect, being seen as smart and witty, you will always end up feeling in the end stupid and a fraud and always on the verge of being found out and so on and so on and so on. How do I know what shadow is creeping up. How do I know what my shadow calling is? No doubt some of that has already come to mind in the process of what I have been talking about. But you know what? I've never really sat down with anybody that has completely fallen apart and had that person say to me, you know, I was working on being exactly what I am today. Never, never seen it. What if, we, what if we talk to somebody named Honest Bob for a minute? Honest Bob, come here. Stand here in front of me. He's 20 years old. Honest Bob, are there, does anyone get named Bob anymore? Honest Bob, what are you working on in the ministry? I see that you're, I see that you're, 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 you're working on the ministry. What are you working on? Well, if he was really honest, might he say something like, well, I'm working on being a, 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 a good judgmental jerk. And I'm laying the foundations for a problematic marriage. You see, I'm, 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 I have a hard time committing to anything and I don't have any real control over my lust and my desires and I'm just I'm just letting it all go right now so that I can have a real wreck of a marriage and then we can have two or three kids and they can be totally totally messed up I'm working on it it's hard work but I'm almost done I'm also trying 
real hard to become somebody who everyone views like you watch a wreck on the side of the road. I'm working on that too. I want people to say, my, how the mighty have fallen. That's just around the corner. You know, I've never, I ever had this conversation with Honest Bob before. It's never once occurred. And I'll tell you why it's never occurred. Because we're not honest enough. But truthfully, truth be told, there are young men and young women who are working on exactly that future, as sure as I'm standing here. Your actions right now, your calling is this, but your actions are here. You have this capability, but your pettiness, the shadow calling, summoning you, dragging you down to hell. You would think with Solomon that one wife was enough. I mean, he wrote Song of Solomon. Do you see how he loved that woman? But, but, two? Okay, it's been done before. Three? Well, oh, you're really getting out. Four, 49? 100? You know, Jerusalem was getting used to the sound, here comes the bride, all dressed in white. <laughs> There's got to be a Solomon, Solomon version of that song somewhere. Wife number 200. And every now, everyone now in town is just kind of yawning. 300. Oh, they hear the wedding bells. It, number 698. 700. You would think that 99 would be enough. That 199 would be enough. But it was never about enough. You see, there is a hostile force, an enemy of the soul, that also calls you at the moment that you're called by God. And it's wrapping its tentacles around you. It's aping your true calling and making you justify yourselves. One small compromise in sin at a time. One moment of unleashed pride, of unchecked vanity at a time. And next thing you know, the shadow's bigger, badder, deadlier. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the almost funny thing about sin. The almost comical, if it wasn't so tragic, nature of sin. You know, the, the, the men out there right now, the women out there right now, the stealing from people. I'm not talking about sticking them up with a gun. I'm talking about maybe on Wall Street or, or pharmaceutical company or a corporation or just your average guy out there somewhere doing some dishonest things at work. You would think at some point, as they accumulate to themselves, yachts and houses and cars. I mean, they've got 28 Lamborghinis. I'm thinking of somebody right now in my head. 28 Lamborghinis. And if they had stopped at 19, 
the federal government never would have found out. But they couldn't. They couldn't because it was never about reaching a certain number. It was about your soul the whole time and about stripping you of God's calling. Ray Stevens, I think, said it best. You itemize the things you covet as you squander through your life. Bigger cars, bigger houses, term insurance for your wife. Tuesday evenings with the harlot, and on Wednesdays it's your charlatan. Analyst, he's high up on your list. You've got air-conditioned sinuses and dark, disturbing doubts about religion. And you keep those cards and letters going out while your secretary's tempting you. Your morals are exempting you from guilt and shame. Heaven knows you're never to blame. Spending counterfeit incentive, wasting precious time in health, placing value on the worthless, disregarding priceless wealth. And you can wheel and deal the best of them and steal it from the rest of them. You know the score. Their ethics are a bore. 86 anesthetic crutches prop you to the top where the smiles are all synthetic and the ulcers never stop. When they take that final inventory, yours will be the same sad story everywhere. No one will really care. No one more lonely than this rich, important man. Let's have your autograph endorse your epitaph. You better take care of business, Mr. Businessman. So, as surely as you were born, and as surely as you were called, there's a shadow. And the shadow is like your gift. It looks like your gift. It feels like your gift. It uses your gift. If you're going to make it all the way, you're going to need a lot of grace. And fortunately, God is there to give you that grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more. And the grace will show up in the form, oftentimes, of an altar call, of a rebuke from a friend, a rebuke from a family member. It's going to sometimes show up in painful forms. But listen to the Apostle Paul again. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. I thank God for all of the men and women who have said no to the shadow calling over the years. Men like, men like my father. Men probably like you know back at home. The journey to 75 and being called grandpa and having a wonderful and warm family at the end. And someone there from the church, someone there from the family, kissing your forehead as you lay in the hospital beds. And your life, which was once measured in years, is now measured only in the ticks on the heart scanner and the sound of the IV machine. There, they remember you well, and they thank you 
and they bless you. And when you go, you become a legend that they tell their grandkids about. But how do you get there? The men who have made it, the women who have made it, have said no a thousand, thousand times to the shadow. They have watched out for pride. They have followed something very like the mission statement or one of the mission statements of this school, this student body, to walk humbly before God and with men. To walk humbly. Thank God for all of those who have said yes to the high and holy calling. How about you? No doubt you have already, already sensed that some of your gifts can carry you away. But in the end, in the end, all that's going to count, all that's going to count is what you did for the Lord. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for the unmerited, the unmerited favor in your calling. Our God, who art always more ready to hear than we are to pray, and who art always more ready to give than we are to receive. Bless this group, young men and young women. Bestow upon them a lifetime of mercies and grace. I pray for humility in the calling. That am I asking too much, Lord, to ask that not one young man here is calling would be hijacked by the enemy? Do I ask too much that not one young woman would be carried away with pride? Lord, I pray this group of people that every week of their lives for the rest of their lives mercy and goodness would follow them all their lives and they would dwell in the house of the Lord forever I pray that they would find an altar every week at church every week for the rest of their lives and that every day that they would encounter you you who have called us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light, made us a holy nation of priesthood. In Jesus' name, 
I rebuke the devourer. I rebuke the enemy, the shadow that creeps up and hides behind the light. In Jesus' name. to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be all the honor and the glory forever. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Young man, young woman, pray earnestly that your heart will be guarded, for out of the heart flow the issues of life. Pray earnestly, pray earnestly.